0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Binge List and Box Office Hits, the podcast about all things film, TV and streaming, with your host Shannon Holiday and me, Letitia Thomas.
1: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Binge Lists and Box Office Hits, the podcast about all things film, TV, and streaming. I am your host Shannon Holiday, and I'm joined in the studio once again with Letitia Thomas. How are you doing today, Tish?
0: I am tired. That's how I'm doing. I know you're constantly
1: <laughs> yawning across there on the other side of the table. Yeah, I'm I, like let's wake up. Let's get let's, let's get, get into it.
0: Get peppy. Get
1: peppy for today. Big old day of recording. It's a big, uh, big topic today. We thought we'd cover before the end of the year.
0: Bit of a slog. It's been a bit of
1: a slog this week and that's only because we realized uh, we haven't actually seen as many of his films as we thought we'd have. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Looking at Letterboxd when I was going through like his specific list and I was like, oh, oh, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that. Oh my God, I haven't seen that. And they're all like iconic films and you're like, oh, I just haven't had time. You just don't sit down and watch them. But yeah, as we are saying before recording, I was like, these are all iconic films, but like they're very, very deep. Yeah, very important films. So watching like five of them in a week was it was a lot. It was a it lot was to a struggle lot. with, um, but I'm glad we did it. Like it definitely opened me up to a, a, you know, more of his style and the reasons why he's such an iconic director. Um, I'm glad I watched them. It's no, just, me too. It's just been a lot in one week, so it's been it's been a trial. But next week it's going to be a lot easier. It's We've decided be an easy one. decided on a different topic next week. That's a lot easier. A lot of people will probably find it pretty fun once we announce it towards the end of the episode. You'll find out at the end.
0: Stay tuned.
1: Alrighty, so I think if we get into what we've been watching this week, it's going to be a pretty short one because we've been mostly watching Martin Scorsese's yeah uh, filmography. Uh, I did actually end up going to the movies this week and watching the Marvels. Ooh, how was that? I actually really enjoyed it. I don't think it should be getting the the flack it's getting in the media. I think uh you know once one person says you know it's terrible, I think a lot of the other kind of like media outlets just jump on the bandwagon. It's not the perfect film. Absolutely not perfect. Like, it's definitely probably been um, edited a little bit by, you know, the studio execs, which kind of, you know, changes the story around a little bit. But I really enjoyed, like, the dynamic of the three heroes. Like, you know, Brie Larson, Tiona Paris, and Iman Villani did really well as the three marvels. When they're on the screen interacting with the three of them together, it's probably when it's at its strongest uh the villain of this movie in particular was definitely uh, like underdeveloped there was really no backstory it's like one or two lines as the reason why their drive of coming back at captain marvel is what it is so it was a little bit underdeveloped more the story's really based around the the three the three main characters the three superheroes in this in this film and I don't know if you've seen the trailer or if the audience has seen the trailer. There's a bit of body swap happening in this film. There's a reason why. Because they're both – all three of them have light-based powers. Like, it's based on, like, light. Um, So whenever one of them uses one of their powers, they actually swap bodies. There's this really, really cool scene probably about in the first half an hour or so when they're starting to realize they're swapping. Uh, It's a really cool fight scene that when they're swapping, all three characters are like versing up like the the enemy in different places. They keep swapping and Samuel Jackson's there as Nick Fury is one of them. He's helping them out and they keep swapping in front of him. He's like, what the hell's going on? And um, it plays over the top of a Skrillex song, Rattata. It's uh, really, really well done. So I don't know, the, 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 the fight sequences itself are really good. The stories, yeah, like it could be stronger in certain parts, like develop certain things, would have been probably a little bit better. But overall, I quite enjoyed it. I don't think it should get, like, the the negative press it's getting. It's fun. I I think it sets up really well the fact that you didn't have to see all those TV shows as well because they kind of do a really quick kind of snippet of, like, oh, where that person's from, like, anyway. Like, so you can go into this kind of just seeing the film. You don't have to go and do research beforehand.
0: I might catch it once it's on, like, Disney or something because I'm quite behind on, like, the Marvel Marvel stuff now. Yeah, I sort of fell off the bandwagon, but – I don't yeah. know. I'm I'm keen to watch it.
1: Yeah, like uh, honestly, uh, with the audience obviously listening, and you've probably seen how much negative press it's getting. Do yourself a favor and see it on your own. Regard like go into it with your own opinions. I I did that and knowing full well it's getting pretty bad press, but I enjoyed it. I went in f- just going seeing what I wanted to see and had a fun time.
0: I mean, anything with Brie Larson, she's always getting flack online, yeah, and regardless, then you yeah. know, there's women in it, so.
1: Yeah, it's like it's a female-led superhero movie.
0: Unfortunately, it's sort of set up for failure from yeah. society. Un- Less, uh, Yeah, I from, know, yeah. from
1: the actual standpoint of making yeah. the film. Yeah, so the director was um a uh, woman called Nia, was it DaCosta? I think Nia. Uh-huh. Yeah, Nia DaCosta. And she's done, she hasn't done a great deal of stuff before the Marvels. She did, I think, the Candyman remake and a few other things, bits and pieces. So definitely like a new thing for her was definitely the superhero kind of thing. I think she did fine. I think it was the directed wise. It was fine. No issues from my regards. Yeah. Definitely probably edited out of her hands in certain scenes, um, but that's nothing to do with her. So worth seeing.
0: Yeah. It always sort of happens when studios get involved. And obviously if you're like Marvel being Marvel. Yeah. They want to be involved.
1: They're going to be really heavily involved, especially with where MCU is at the moment. So they're going to be very hands on. Yeah. Yeah. So nothing to do with her. I thought it was really good.
0: Um, so I didn't watch a whole lot this week apart from um Scorsese stuff. Um I watched a little bit more of Only Murders in the Building. I've got a couple to go. I enjoy it, but I don't I don't love this show in it, the same way as I love a lot of other things. Yeah. Um it's easy to watch, it's entertaining. So I just keep coming back for it's something to just do. Something to pop on. Yeah, it's like yeah. a you know, when it like instead of watching a Scorsese film, I'll watch like half an hour of this before yeah. bed kind of thing. Um, I think it was stronger in its earlier seasons. I think now it's struggling. Like it's one of those ones. Creatively. Yeah. I think the idea was solid for a first season, but then when you're trying to recreate this idea of this murders and like these, you know, unlikely true or solving them, plus then you're throwing in their personal lives. So they're a bit more separate now rather than all together, which is where I think the magic is. Yep. It, yeah, it, it sort of is harder to do, but it's getting another season.
1: Is it getting a fourth season? Apparently it's getting oh, a fourth, right. okay.
0: so I'm going to finish this off probably this week, I think.
1: Yeah, two episodes ago. Yeah. It won't take too long. Okay, interesting. I Look, I've seen it. I maybe get to it as well when we have a break period, but there's a lot of stuff I want to watch then too.
0: It, so. it gets like that sometimes. Yeah. Um, And then I watched a couple of really, really like, was oh, it like maybe C grade films from the <laughs> yeah. like- Two thousand, basically, yeah. I went on Letterboxd and I was like, "Oh, there's a bunch of Natasha Lyonne films I haven't yeah. seen, and I didn't want to watch anything heavy." Like, after we recorded, yeah. Um, so I just watched them just to see them. Uh, one was Zigzag from two thousand and two. Yeah, yeah. Um, great cast. Mm. Um, it's written and directed by the same guy, but it's also based on a book. Um, and it's an autistic fifteen-year-old boy steals money from his boss to provide rent for his abusive father. Who uses the money to repay a loan shark? The book was published in 99 to critical acclaim. This film isn't bad. It's definitely not great. Mm. Um, but I just think it suffers from the fact that like I'm watching it 20 years later. Yeah. And it's like, it's about a like a like a black kid mm. written by a the book and the film written by a white man. So you're like, okay. Yeah. Probably not appropriate. No. And then the character's supposed to be autistic, but you don't hear that. Right, like it's in not, the film, it's not explained because I was like, "Why is this like? Why is the actor making all these like physical choices?" And then yeah. I read the descriptions, like, "Oh, he's supposed supposedly autistic," but it's then not I'm like,
1: "Explicitly said in the film,
0: yeah." yeah. But you like also, obvious enough. just like, it's it suffers from that thing of like, "Oh, people are just acting autistic," which is just physical is stuff, uh, and that's that not f- appropriate. exactly the same
1: as that film that Sia made. What was it called again? Music, music, yep. and
0: you know many others like Rayman, Dustin Hoffman. Oh, exactly.
1: Like, there's a, there's enough out there. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. you're still
0: watching it now, and you're like. Yeah, this has to stop now because it's yeah. been happening for a really long time. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. it's like damaging and not great. So I was watching it sort of from a different perspective, twenty years later. From when it was, I was made, like Yeah. Wow. Um. And I thought, okay, maybe not great. And then I watched another one, which was worse. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Okay. This, C grade, D grade. This now. one
0: is like a full trip. It's called. Cool. Yeah. It had two titles, I think, <laughs> from where I watched it. But yeah. it's my suicidal sweetheart from 2005. Uh, and this is one of those ones that you watch and it like, you know, it was nominated for a grand jury prize in South by Southwest in 2005. And I'm like, yeah, okay. mm, wow, we're making really different films now, now. now. Um, this one is a rom-com about two young lovers who get married, escape from a mental institution in search of new ways to die and find the light light. Oh, okay. Uh, this is a trip. Yeah. Uh, none of it's appropriate cause it's like bad depictions of mental illness yeah. and, Suicidal Ideation and... Wouldn't be made now. Just
1: wouldn't be made now. Just wouldn't be made. Just wouldn't
0: be made. Um, and it was weird seeing um, Natasha Lyonne and David Krumholtz in it because they'd played brother and sister in uh, a f- earlier film.
1: Mm. Uh,
0: God, what's that other one I keep mentioning? Slums of Beverly Hills, which is right, fantastic. Right, you did that one, yes. Um, and it's just wild to see people in fantastic films and then people in not-so-fantastic films.
1: It's interesting, right? I don't like, have a lot to say on it other no, than, like, You watched it wow. just because... You wanted to see it. I and basically you have turned now. my mind
0: off. Uh, it's wild what people are making. That being said, 2000
1: 2000s was an interesting time. I think after the 90s and then before, obviously when CGI and cinema kind of got to a good place. I would say in the 2010s, which is definitely after Avatar, there was a period of time when movies were just anywhere and everything. I, they were just shockingly all different. That, yeah and I don't think the quality was where it would needed to be at. No. Yeah, like is probably about 2009.
0: Interesting. Yeah, it was weird. <laughs> it was I mean, it was an interesting time. That being said, it clearly had like no budget. It had a insane it, cast. Yeah. Like the the, the film making itself isn't bad per mm. se, but you're also sitting there watching it going, why did this movie get made?
1: Why who who's How did greenlit this, this movie
0: get made and just just such a bad depiction. Yeah. Just such a bad bad depiction yeah, very different uh, uh place just, in time now holy you're just watching it like <laughs> every time you're like oh my god like i love this cast but what what, what are they doing yeah <laughs> so that was that uh and then i went on to watch you know some of the technically best films ever made so i thought yeah, let's exactly. just do you were really on a
1: roller coaster in terms of like quality yeah, cinema this week that's
0: what i decided to do i was like well if i'm gonna watch the best of the best
1: why don't I, I need start to watch The Worst of the Worst.
0: The
1: worst. worst. <laughs> just go up and down.
0: But I can tick them off the list, and uh, that satisfies me. Yeah. So that was That's that. That's the
1: best thing about Letterboxd. You're like, yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it. It's in there. You can say I've seen it. It's, don't need to see it again.
0: I, there's some I do need to watch again because they're like fever dreams. I'm like, did I watch, did that, I watch or that? Or did I just watch bits of that?
1: Pants. I'll just watch a summary.
0: Yeah. Nah, I, I need to go back and watch them. Anyways.
1: Yeah. I think that's it from what we've been watching. Obviously, we've got a very heavy uh-huh. topic this week that will go into what we've been mostly watching this week. Um, that gives us time to move into trivia.
0: Ready? Am I going first? Yes. All right. You ready? Mm. What 1990 movie starred Patrick Swayze and Whoopi Goldberg?
1: Uh, that would be Ghost. That would be Ghost. That would be Ghost. Um, I haven't seen it in probably 20 plus years, maybe longer. I have seen it. I remember the scene with the... Pottery wheel. The pottery wheel. Um, and the particular scene where I think he dies. Uh-huh.
0: Did you watch it with your mum like I did? Yes. It always uncomfortable. It is
1: very uncomfortable. Because they
0: loved Patrick Swayze. It was that era. Yeah, it was. And you're sitting there like, I'm too young to completely understand get Understand what's going at on. ...at the same level as yeah. you are, but also I do understand that I am deeply uncomfortable. It was...
1: I was too young. I was just definitely too young. Okay, I'll ask your first question now. Uh-huh. All righty. Who does Kenneth Branagh play in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets? Uh,
0: that would be Professor Gilderoy Lockhart, who indeed is full of crap.
1: He is, isn't he? He's a, I'd say he's like the type of like, he's like an, just a famous person that they get into be he's the professor. Celebrity, he's yeah. a celebrity. And he can't, artist. can't do anything. He's very good at what type of charms? Uh, F- like forget me charms? Uh, yeah, there's a, he's I'm trying to think Rufy's of the
0: exact, the exact one. <laughs> yeah. um, Anyway, yeah. I was, the reason I know that like off the bat yeah, was because they were like the only films I'd seen as a kid. Like I mean, I'd seen others, but like these were the ones mm-hmm. and I learned the names of every single actor in every single role. Cause I used to watch the credits that often, but I was like, I'm yeah, going to learn, I think I wrote it down.
1: Well, I mean, I just recognize Kenneth Branagh from, you know, the current movies that he's in. Well, yeah, now yeah, I know. Yeah, and he's now, also a director and stuff. Oh yeah, exactly. At
0: the time I was like, yeah. he's Professor Gilderoy Lockhart and that is it. 100 yeah.
1: That's all he plays. I wish they brought him back in the fifth one.
0: Yeah, because he's in the book.
1: He's in the book. Yeah, yeah he's, he's, he's he's institutionalized yeah. at that point. Yeah, he's in the mental hospital, yeah. which I reckon would have been really cool to add that in, but they didn't. They obviously cut no. it for, cut it for time.
0: Anywho, uh, yeah. My next one for you. Uh, what was the film that was Kate Winslet's first role? The title.
1: I believe her first role was Titanic. If I'm wrong, though.
0: You are wrong. <sighs> but this was a trick. Like, it's not a trick one. Uh, it's Heavenly Creatures, which she did with Melanie Linsky. Oh, okay. And I've been meaning to yeah, see it, but I, knew I can't, they were friends. I can't um, find it anywhere.
1: Then, oh, God. Was it 96 then?
0: Uh, it would have been early. Yeah, because yeah.
1: I'm in Titanic's 97. Yeah. So, okay.
0: Yeah, all right. I really want to see it. It's definitely I a presume. trick question. Yeah. Because, well, it's, yeah. is it a trick question? Some people know that question.
1: I mean, I know it now. Yeah. If it ever comes up again. If it ever comes up. Alrighty, Your second question. Which child actor from the Temple of Doom won a Golden Globe for his role in the 2022 film Everything Everywhere All at Once? Uh,
0: is it Ki, Kihue Kwan? Is that yes. how
1: you say it? Yes, Kwan. I couldn't read it. Yeah.
0: Like I was trying to think of how in it's written and I'm yeah. like, ah. Uh.
1: Yeah, I yeah. popped that one in there because he was in Loki. How do you uh, say it? Kihue Kwan. Kihue Kwan. Yeah, yeah. Kihue
0: Kwan. I can say it, but I can't
1: yeah, he's, um, see
0: it and say it.
1: He's short round. Yeah, I know. He's short round. Yeah, he's having a resurgence again.
0: Oh, amazing! I'm so happy that he's like, he's doing fantastic. Now. He's
1: one like, of the nicest people in Hollywood. Clearly, have you seen him when he walks up and sees Harrison Ford yeah. at like the premiere of I think Indiana Jones? <gasps> he's like Indy.
0: So sweet. <laughs> so sweet. Alrighty, which mixed martial arts legend appeared in Furious Seven?
1: Ronda Rousey?
0: Yeah, that's it. Yeah, right. Okay. I was like, Shannon will know this one. I will. Deep, deep in there.
1: I was like, I was using my brain. Mm-hmm. Did you see the cog wheels turning? I could. <laughs> I was like, oh. The cogs is, is what they just say. Oh, well, look, some people say that. Some people say other things. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember the scene where she's, I think she's fighting. It's in Dubai and she's fighting. I'm pretty sure. In a, Michelle- there's also one
0: in... Rodriguez in a train yeah. subway. They're beating the crap out of each I mean, other. they
1: fight each other all the time in these films. they become just action films. that's true. They go into space. I still so. haven't
0: seen X. I need to watch it.
1: You need to watch X. I think it's on, it's on Binge. Yeah,
0: right? which I can't get you into. can't
1: get into. Yep. So. All right, your last question. Uh-huh. In Wayne's World, what Queen song do Wayne and Garth rock out to it's while driving? Bohemian in their Rhapsody. Car? Yes, I've not correct.
0: actually seen that movie, but I've seen that. You've seen that.
1: The scene's yeah. iconic. Yeah. It's hugely iconic. But yes, it is that Bohemian
0: is, Rhapsody. That is me when Bohemian Rhapsody plays. Yeah. yeah,
1: they put in a little tape and then they just rock out, uh-huh. the hair going everywhere. It's Queen
0: cool. was my favorite band when I was about twelve. I
1: mean, fair. Got I knew nothing about them. Super huge songs, but I think the movie's a bit overrated.
0: Behemoth Rhapsody. Yeah, I haven't seen that. It's
1: because uh, I think
0: it wasn't like an accurate depiction of his life. Not really. And I find him more fascinating, like yeah. the actual. Yeah, the yeah.
1: actual. Um, yeah, disappointed a little bit.
0: But that's our trivia. I think we did okay. We did okay. It's
1: very hard to find questions now. It's getting. It's getting really, really hard. Hard to find a question where it's like either not wildly obscure, where I'm like, you just won't know that. and up too obscure. But then we've asked so many like common questions as I well. I know. It's like, it's uh, hard. what do we do? So we're doing well. We're
0: doing all right. All righty. That brings us to the news.
1: Yes. Time to do the news.
0: All right. Do you want me to start?
1: Yes. Go right. first.
0: Netflix is once again making cuts to its upcoming slate. Variety has confirmed Shadow and Bone, Glamorous, Agent Elvis, Fazar, and Captain Four will not be returning. I'll be honest. Haven't seen many of them?
1: I, the only one I know is Shadow and Bone. Yeah.
0: So same. But that's interesting because it was doing really well.
1: Yeah, Shadow and Bone was. Yeah. yeah. But the other ones I haven't even heard of, which goes to show, were they marketing them to begin with? Probably not. They're probably just shelved into the, you know, the have to click across three or four times to see.
0: And that's what I think is such a shame with Netflix. They're making so much stuff. Yeah. Most of it's probably pretty good. Like I haven't Mm. seen these ones, but I would say they're not worse than some of the other stuff that they're marketing.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: um, they just keep pushing the ones that people are already watching. And I don't understand that.
1: Well, it's like any franchise. If it's doing well, promote the ones that you know you're going to get your money back on. But you're
0: getting your money back on them anyway because people are always tuning in. That is true. You know? Yeah.
1: It's, it's like, hard then.
0: It's like shooting yourself in the foot and then being like, oh, no, why did we not do well?
1: Um, yeah. It's like because you've got a hole in your foot. It's <laughs> that meme where the, the bicycle and they've got the stick and they've put the stick in and it's like, ah, why would you do this? Yeah, it's like well, <laughs> yeah. it
0: just doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah. Uh, but, um, okay. More cuts. More cuts, unfortunately. Next part of the news, Taika Waititi is back to focusing on indies, stating if Marvel is to make a potential Thor 5, he won't be involved. Instead, he'll be focusing on an adaptation of Kazu Irish Goro's novel Clara and the Sun and Alejandro Jodorowsky's novel The In as well as continuing to develop his Star Wars film.
0: Yeah, so I did a bit of research on these ones. Um I'd heard of the book Clara and the sun and I like, I was like, Oh, hang on. I need to look back into it. Um, and this is one about like a little robot.
1: Yeah. So very,
0: very sci-fi. Um, Alejandro Jodorowsky, uh, Jodorowsky's June. If you've been watching Russian Uh, last uh, week,
1: there it is. There you go.
0: Uh, the Incals already like another sci-fi and then obviously Star Wars.
1: Star Wars. I knew you'd been doing, I knew you'd been greenlit for one of those for ages. And and he said
0: the other day I'd seen something that like, if, if he does it, like a lot of people are not going to be happy. And I'm like,
1: is it because it's Good. very Taika Waititi? I think so. Fantastic.
0: But I'm like, well, if you're letting him near a franchise, let him do what he does yeah, best. Yeah, exactly. Or don't let him near I it mean, at all.
1: When he got it, when he got to Thor, the first one, the th- the first one, that obviously was so needed for the Thor franchise yeah. itself because the second one was con- it still is considered one of the worst films in the MCU. And Thor was a very boring, straight down the line character. As soon as like some Taika Waititi got involved, it became this absolutely vibrant colorful thing it yeah. Was, yeah it was much needed they
0: put comedy into something that they'd played very dark and like straight down the yeah, line exactly. which works for a bit like the first Thor the, worked oh it, it was worked.
1: amazing Ragnarok is fantastic and
0: then well, I mean like the first Thor film was oh good, yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. as a setup yep. and yep. then you because he's fish out of water and then you yep. put him in Avengers and he's riffing off everyone being like mm-hmm. I don't know anything yep. that's okay for a bit but it gets to yep. a point where it's like now you know things what's this, like, charm thing to be a character? And it was, like, the humour that they threw into it.
1: It was genius. And
0: putting him as, like, now no longer a hero, but, like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it was it was it really good.
1: And, um, yeah, the fourth one, not so great. I think they overextended the humour in, in
0: – Yeah, rumour has it they were a bit coked out, which, you know, makes sense.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure he went on f- – actually said that in an interview, didn't he? Probably. I think he did. Probably. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I don't think they cared too much about, about – uh, Oh, yeah, we all have. <laughs> I don't think they cared too much about making that fourth one, which uh, is very evident. It
0: would have been contracted at that yeah. point. They'd lost focus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: So I'm glad someone else is getting involved if they do a fourth or four, four, five. Yeah,
0: try and sort of steer it back in the right direction. But yeah. also like – Because you can still have that level they? of – no, well, I don't know where they're – I do it's he's going. still –
1: prominent in the mcu he's not off they haven't finalized his story not essentially. Quite. like the others they have have kind of given them their um they you walk them. into the sunset um well two of them they've killed even hawkeyes is pretty much wrapped up in oh, the yeah. Hawkeye series because
0: there's now
1: it's kate bishop yeah. now it's kind of taken over the helm so all of them are kind of wrapping up so but thor hasn't had his yet so it'll be interesting to see uh next one for you
0: Um, Bob Iger has given Disney fans a strong hint that Frozen 3 and 4 may be in development. He told GMA, Frozen 3 is in the works and there might be a Frozen 4 in the works too. (laughs) Now, I think this is him and, you know, obviously Disney deciding, Mm. let's just focus on the stuff that we know is working Mm -hmm. rather than making these half-baked films, not promoting them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a strong move. Like the Frozen films are very good.
1: Yeah, and they're wildly they're popular. Very popular. They're very popular. They're like one of the biggest in terms of the animation uh-huh. stuff lately.
0: They sort um, of do the typical Disney princess thing, make it a little bit more modernized, so it's mm. like less, you know, she's falling in love with the prince. It's, you know, kissing her while she's asleep, and oh look, we're in love. Or yeah. like you know Belle, it's like oh Stockholm syndrome. Um, <laughs> it's sort of f- taking the bits that are good out of those and like yeah it's modernizing a, it's a it, and I think it works.
1: Version. I think it's great. I've seen the first one. I haven't seen the second one yet. The but second like,
0: one's pretty good. It's good. I haven't seen it in a long, long time, yeah, but I good. enjoyed it. My sister uh, cried through so much of it, and I was like, calm "Dude,
1: down. it's fine. Calm it's also down. a Disney. You know, it's all going to be wrapped up in a nice little yeah." World. We yeah. Mind
0: I say we were in our twenties. Yeah, I know and we went to it, see it. And Frozen like, two is not that old. It's only like out. five years old <laughs> I think.
1: So it's uh, that's a no-brainer to see that Frozen three is getting made, and then for the say that Frozen four is also going to be worked on. That's well, it makes a no sense.
0: Brainer. You you want to sort of if you're going to make a third one, you want to know where that's leading into. Otherwise, it's a mess. Yeah.
1: Uh, last bit of the news is it has been announced that Jimmy Kimmel is set to host the 2024 Oscars in March of next year. How do
0: you feel about Jimmy Kimmel? I think
1: to me, it's fine. I don't really care too much about who hosts it in, in for me, it's not a big part of the show. I'm there to see who wins the awards and who's up for the awards. And that's the excitement that I get out of it. And like, the competition between particular movies in particular categories and seeing who is actually going to take that out. Cause I really follow that kind of thing year to year. So who hosts it to me is not a really big issue as long as they're not like wildly offensive. Um, I think Jimmy Kimmel's fine. He, he toes the line with making a bit of jokes at the expense of the nominees. Um, there's definitely, there could be worse candidates, but uh, I saw someone on, you know, writing someone on Twitter after it got announced being like, you, don't really – like, stop using comedians. Maybe use someone who's going to actually celebrate the nominees. Yeah, But at the end of the day, this is a televised event. They want people to watch. So, the reason why he's used Jimmy Kimmel, it makes sense. So yeah. At the end of the day, I'm, I'm fine with it.
0: Yeah, me too. I Like, you know, not my first pick. Who would I pick over him? I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure. You know, but it's just like, yeah, hopefully there's not too many jokes that don't land because that's, that's, that's a, always awkward yeah. to watch. It's like
1: – It's hard with live – yeah, it's yeah, definitely TV. very hard.
0: But, um, you know, after last year's fiasco, I think this year should be Smooth Sailing. I
1: think it was two years ago now, wasn't it?
0: Was it? Oh, it was because yeah, we watched yeah. the last one. Yeah. yeah.
1: And they they made jokes about it, the one before. That's right. They had people in place in case stuff yeah. like that happened.
0: I'm, I'm excited for this year's. Yeah. There's a lot honest. of
1: films like I still need to see that will obviously be up for nomination um, that is still coming. But I think we've seen a few already this year. Yeah, I
0: want them to announce the list. They still don't really have one. It
1: won't be that far off. They have to hurry up. If it's in March, March. I might look. I think it was December last year when I think I was speaking to you when they were doing the nominations. I was like, quick, it's on YouTube. We both put it on. We are watching That's right. It was like at
0: midnight we sat up. Yeah, we
1: sat up and watched the nominations. And um, yeah, it won't be too far off because I only just started moving here. That's right. And um, we've started our new renewal so it's it's definitely coming up to nomination time
0: i don't know how i remember those things based off other
1: things but yes i'm very excited there were a
0: lot of movies this year that i very much loved which i won't get into now because we kind of want to do a wrap up
1: we're going to do a final episode of this year on the best of 2023 but we're not quite there yet no
0: right now we got to get into scorsese
1: that's it good old marty we're into uh the main topic of this week and it is martin scorsese's filmography as a writer and director. Mm-hmm. This was a big slog and I knew we have been kind of uh, throwing around the idea of doing I think him for a little while, but we kind of just didn't land on a proper wing. We went, yeah, let's do it now. We're like, Yep, sounds great. That's a great idea. I haven't seen much of his films. We can use that week to watch uh, a couple of his films. But as we said earlier in the episode, I didn't realise how many I hadn't actually seen. So Me
0: too. I think – It was a big one.
1: What we did, we discussed um, – collectively at the start of the week after we finished last week's episode was let's watch these films, but let's divvy them up. We know that we're not going to be able to get through all of his filmography in basically a week, knowing there's about 20 to 24 films where he's actually prominently known for. Yeah. Um. So I think we divvied up pretty well and we've covered, I think probably 90% of his major player films.
0: I think we did pretty well. So we're yeah. just going to have a bit of a chat about yeah, Most of what them, we I thought,
1: think. what we you know, where we were, what we thought, who the main players are, who he always films with, that kind of thing, and just kind of go on from there.
0: Do we want to take it from the top or do we want to take it from I like mean, his original stuff? I think let's, like which way are we yeah, gonna go? Yeah,
1: the bottom first, I All think. Right, I think it's probably the best. Bottom. The stuff from the from the ones where he originally made and where he is at now. Finch with killers of the flower moon that we haven't seen. Yeah, <laughs> look. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get to that. Alrighty. So mean streets you seen it? I have not seen it. I've not seen
0: it either. Couldn't find it on streaming this week. I watched the
1: trailer for this. I went out of my way to watch the trailer and it's very 1973, but it's um, obviously one of his first big films that he made and it's obviously the – that's where he established the connection with Robert De Niro, Harvey Cattell. Um, They're the two that he's used in a lot of his other films from here, especially Robert De Niro. Mm -hmm. So they've obviously had a really good connection from Mean Streets. Uh, the basis of this film is a small time, like, um, Hood tries to keep peace between his friends, Johnny and Johnny's creditors. So it's just like, um, a balancing act between like the mob and like some other people as well that are in the film. It looks like it's got a bit of comedy based stuff thrown in there, but it's very much like the first foray into his like mob films is Mean Streets.
0: I do want to do want to find this one at some point.
1: Yeah, it like, wasn't on any streaming. Yeah. I think I could find either, and I don't think you can get a physical copy either.
0: No, when it pops back up, I do want to watch check that out where he sort of started out. Yeah. Uh, the next one we both have seen. Uh, it's Alice doesn't live here anymore, 1974, starring Ellen Burstyn, Chris Christopherson, Alfred Lutter the Third, and Jodie Foster. <laughs> uh, it's directed by Scorsese, and it's written by Robert Getchell. Yeah. Um, and it's a recently widowed woman is on the road with her precocious son, determined to make a new life for herself as a singer. Uh, this one has a couple of my favorite lines out of any film. It
1: has some great lines. You know the one
0: where it's like, "We don't even have a piano in here." <laughs> yeah, that was that was Love fantastic
1: because he keeps saying that all yeah. the time. We don't even have a piano. Basically, have a p- it's because she's crying. This
0: woman, Alan <laughs> Bernstein's character, you know, wants to be a singer uh, in a in in a pub. Well, and, well, at this I point, mean, she's in there. She wants to, and she keeps like yeah. you know just crying you know i just need to make it i need to make it and instead of him being like you know it's okay right? right <laughs> we he just straight a- down the line because we don't even have a piano in here
1: yeah that's so it's well played like, you know- that's one of my favorite scenes as well and um my other favorite scene is is the one i keep looking up on youtube every now and then is the jodie foster scene where she's um talking to the sun and weird they're, they're talking weird, about weird weird tucson weird and and that's weird for tucson because so, yeah. tucson is the weirdest place on earth weird and it's just oh, Jodie Foster so perfect Jodie Foster uh, overall I didn't I didn't get into this film uh, there's something about this film I just couldn't grasp or I don't know what it was but like overall the base of the movie is she's living this life with a kind of an abusive husband and she kind of says one day she's like I'd be better off alone I would you know be happy if he drops dead and then literally that day she gets a phone call and the husband has died in a car crash so then she um, ups and moves herself uh, and her uh, like 11-year-old son or whatever across country because she wants to move back home to where she used to live in California. And that's where that opening scene is where it plays out very differently, more like a musical, uh-huh. um, kind of like something you'd see in Wizard of Oz and that like opening scene. So she's going back home to where she used to live because she remembers like she used to have good memories from living there. And along the way she has to have, find like work and job and she ends up in a couple of places along the way and she meets certain people like um, Harvey Cattell's character she kind of starts a romance with and works out later on that he's definitely cheating on like her, like his partner or wife or something and he's quite abusive. Like he comes in and kind of roughs up the place and roughs up his partner and herself as well. So they like get again to the next place. And the next place she's like, She's trying to be a singer this whole time, but she ends up just landing a job as a waiter because that's all she can get and it kind of settles the film there for most of this. Probably the second half of the yep. film I'd say it it's mostly takes out place while she's the waiter at this particular place. She meets Chris Christopherson's character and she's obviously I'd say distrust distrustive of, of men, men. Yeah. at that point because obviously her ex-husband was you know abusive met the Harvey Cattell character who was quite abusive and she's just putting up a bit of a barrier but he's he's I think the first line he says to her was like like she's like what were you ordering and he's like a smile doll or something like that and it's just like kind of like even from the get go he's like trying to win her over. Yeah. But he's like he's definitely like the nice character that's supposed to be in this story. Um yeah, it's just it was fine. I just I just think it was obviously early Martin Scorsese work. None of his traditional auteur things are stamped on this film at all. I found like the film, like the filming of this actually a bit shaky and a bit mm-hmm. all over the shop. And I don't know, just coming off the back of Mean Streets, it's a very weird one to kind of double down on as a film like Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Because it's, it's supposed to be like. Light-hearted comedy, but then there's elements that I was like, "This is like darker than it's a comedy." Yeah. Especially when it gets to like like the 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 spouse abuse part, and I was yeah. like, it doesn't sit right." Uh, it doesn't. The tone's a bit off. I don't know. That was just my take on it. It's not a bad film by any regards. Um, iconic, absolutely. Um, just not one that I kind of attached to.
0: No, I do find it. I I didn't dislike this film, but again, it wasn't like. This is incredible. There's mm. bits in it I absolutely, like, love. But I do think it's interesting that this early on he did steer away from his, like, gangster type yeah. and go and do these films because every so often throughout his filmography you'll see one that shouldn't make sense. as is mm-hmm. what you think There's is Scorsese there, yeah. and he, he sort of shows that like, he does want to go against his own type and tell yeah. other stories. So I liked it for that regard, I think.
1: Yeah. it Look, I've seen it now. I uh it's not a terrible film it's just what not. Oh, it's not something I'd probably pop on again.
0: Yeah, look, yeah. I might watch it you know 20 years later when yeah, I'm like, oh on that while. film I want to watch that oh, again. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, just for Jodie Foster. Honestly, it's, <laughs> Honestly, it's so that good. scene is fantastic. She's I love like the, the kids in this the film. Ki- yeah. I think they really like
1: He plays have this like level that um, that abrasive son so well. There's one particular scene I remember and it's like the perfect portrayal of like a son and a single mother situation they're driving along and the son's trying to tell her this particular joke about like the monkey and the dog or something (laughs) and swinging around and she's like no I got it and this goes for like five minutes this scene and she's like no I got it and he's like trying to set up a punchline he keeps like telling and explaining the joke but he hasn't like actually said the joke yet and then she gets this point where she's like He's like, did you get it? And she's like, yes. And then he's like, what is it then? And then she's like, I don't know. And then she starts like crying. <laughs> it's like the perfect portrayal of like that particular dynamic. And yeah. I was like, oh, okay, that's done really, I, there, really there well. There are moments
0: in this film that are portrayed very, very well. Yeah. And I kind of like that. It almost feels, it's scripted, but it almost feels not scripted yeah. just because these characters I feel like they were very were lived allowed
1: in. To be a little bit like loose yeah. with their, uh, some of their lines.
0: But you know that's Alice doesn't live here anymore, yeah. and now we're getting into maybe his most famous Yeah. Taxi definitely, driver, definitely his most famous. 1976. Taxi I. Driver. This is Robert De Niro, Jodie Foster, Sybil Shepherd, and Albert Brooks. Um, directed by Scorsese and written by Paul Schrader. I watched this quite a long time ago. I think.
1: Yeah. Okay. It must
0: have been maybe like 18 or 19. It was after I think my first year of uni, and mm-hmm. there was a lot that I hadn't seen, and I had you know yeah uni breaks are long. And if you're barely employed, you have a lot of time. So I was like, I want to watch, you know, all these big films. And I really enjoyed Taxi Driver.
1: Yeah, I honestly thought it was awesome. I thought it was phenomenal. So it's basically a mentally unstable veteran works as a nighttime taxi driver in New York City where the perceived decadence and sleaze fuels his urge for violent action. So Robert De Niro plays the central character and he is essentially unhinged for this entire film. And he's got that iconic you know, outfit at the end of the film where he's got the mohawk mm-hmm. and the kind of the veteran's jacket. And he's essentially planning the assassination of the, I think, the president mm-hmm. from the top of my memory because I saw this about two, three years ago myself. I'm trying to remember all the parts to it. Um, yeah, and it's just it's got, it's got moments of ultra violence as mm-hmm. well, like especially that scene where he's kind of pr- trying to protect Jodie Foster's character in that house. And um, yeah, definitely some ultraviolence. So he's he's like a weirdly like anti-hero character as well at the same time. Yeah,
0: it's a weird look on the reality of the life we're living. And this was made in the seventies, probably set maybe before the seventies because usually that's yeah, yeah. Um, but it still sort of holds up today mm. in the sense of like he's seen the worst of the worst. He was in he was in the wars, so yeah. he's you know he's done he's some obviously pretty got bad things, like, post traumatic stress yeah. and all this stuff, which we'd say now, but. Yeah. But then he comes back to life and he's driving taxis and he just sees the worst of New York City mm-hmm. and he's like, hang on, how is humanity so depraved? I need to be the one that fixes this, mm-hmm. which obviously doesn't make sense. Violence begets violence, but in his mind, but in his mind because he's so yeah. damaged, yep. he goes and sets out on this thing. Yeah. And I just think it was perfectly portrayed. Maybe not perfect because it's been a long time, but in my memory- Sort of yeah, no, it's
1: it's a very well-made film as Mm -hmm. well, even for 1976. Gorgeous as well,
0: like the the cinematography in his films are always like yeah, top tier.
1: It got Oscar nominees as well, Mm -hmm. so Best Picture, Best Actor in Leading Role, De Niro, Best Actress in Supporting Role, Foster, Best Music, Original Score, Berman Herman. So a lot of nominees. It was huge that year. It It was huge, Yeah. yeah.
0: And I think if you haven't seen it and it's one of those ones where you're like, is it worth seeing or is yes. it just one people talk about? No, it's it worth is worth seeing.
1: seeing. Chuck yeah. it on. If you're not used to watching things from the 70s, just realise the first Star Wars came out in 1977. So, the year after this. Yeah. So, you can watch this. And
0: it's one of those ones, I think, as well. Like, a lot of Scorsese's films are pretty long, a bit of a slog. This one doesn't feel as hard to watch.
1: No, I think it is a little bit shorter. I think it's two hours ten or something like that. Yeah. So, it's one of these tighter films.
0: And, yeah, yeah it's... Worth watching and it's not super hard. I think start there if you're into Scorsese.
1: Yeah, honestly, that would be a great place to start. Next one we both haven't seen, so we're not going to comment on it too much. Doesn't mean I'm going to get not get to it at some point. It's called New York, New York from 1977. So this is the one with Robert De Niro and Liza Minnelli. I'm pretty sure off the top Probably. of my head. Probably. God, I love Liza Minnelli. Haven't yeah. seen her much, but yeah. everything she's in. She's fantastic in Arrested Development. She's in Arrested Development? She's in Arrested Development. Oh, on our well, break, she is I'm getting into this. So good in that as well. I won't say anymore. Please but yeah. don't. Uh, yes, yeah, so we haven't seen New York, New York, so we, that means we're going to move into his next film after that one, which is Raging Bull from 1980, starring Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, a Mori- Mor- Moriarty, sorry, Frank Vivant, and Nicholas Colasanto. What do you think about Raging Bull, Tish? Because we both watched it this week.
0: I enjoyed Raging Bull. I do think it's interesting. And I will sort of mention this pretty often as we're watching Mm. his films because a lot of they're like mob films. Yeah. So I'm watching it and you watch it now and you'll go, oh, man. Yes, this is a depiction of violent men, but you watch it and it's sort of, I don't know, it's one of the things, it doesn't make me uncomfortable watching those films because – it is oh, a depiction of it. violence. It was, but there's a I point w- where you watch it now and you go, man, they're really treating women terribly in this.
1: Yeah, right? That's how yeah, I. Well, and it a, was set in the 40s. Exactly. And yeah. I'm not saying that it's. like, okay. No, it's not it's okay. okay because it was in
0: the 40s. And I'm not saying it's but bad because it's a more film depicting that.
1: prominent in but the 40s. But I think 40s.
0: because we see less of it now.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, it still happens, but we see less of it. Mm. When you watch it in a film, you're like, oh, man.
1: I just found the, the character of Jake La, LaMotta, LaMotta. Lamotta, so flawed. I think so, but so th- incredibly flawed.
0: Jake Lamotta was a real boxer. No, I know, yeah. And yeah. this is sort of a look at his life, and I found it super interesting because his in the film, his wife ups and leaves him eventually because she's like, I can't deal mm. with the abuse, um, and he and his real ex wife were sitting in the um, like the theater watching this watching film, this film, yeah, and. He realized how bad he was because he he watched this, saw himself, and he on, turned to her and said, screen. "Was I this bad?" And she went, "You were worse. You're
1: worse. Yeah. Like that's far incredible." Because there were scenes where I was like, when you said uncomfortable, I was like, "Yeah, probably levels of uncomfortable with this film because his portrayal, like Robin Zero, is phenomenal in this. Oh, absolutely. He plays it so well because you you." You do not like this character. Not at one point during this film, you are you like this character. But the thing is, he's also he's got so much potential there as well. But his only issue is himself. Uh-huh. He's the only one holding himself back because he's got so much issues in his personal life. He's got jealousy issues, paranoia, and it's it fuels his rage. And I feel like he knows those things about himself. So when he gets in the ring, he he hates himself, mm-hmm. and he uses that when he's fighting, and that actually makes him a better fighter. Yeah, deep down, he knows he's a bad person to most of his family and friends, and it fuels him, which is why it's, like, in my opinion, Raging Bull because it's yeah. yeah, it's that simmering rage he's got there that can <laughs> be unleashed at any time. Oh,
0: it's an incredible film. Yeah, um, Joe Pesci's amazing. I think he might be one of my favorite like. Of those guys. The mobster times. Yeah, so I yeah. love him so much.
1: she in this yeah. was great and also in Goodfellas. Yes. We'll, we'll get to that later, yeah, yeah. but yeah.
0: Um, yeah, I just think great film. Yeah. I'm th- sure
1: Kathy Moriarty's, it was her debut.
0: Yeah. And also, like, I remember the get-go because you're watching it. It's a 40s film. Mm. And I had to do some Googling and, and rah, rah, But, like, he's 20, about 24-ish because mm-hmm. the timeline was a bit off in the film. Uh, And Kathy Moriarty's character.
1: 16. uh, 15. 15 when they met. When they met at the pool. Yeah.
0: Like he's courting, well, essentially courting her, not so much courting, but you know. And you're like far out then.
1: Yeah. Because 15, 20 year olds,
0: not uncommon, but. No. So, like now we recognize, we we call it for what it is. Pretty inappropriate. Back then.
1: Well, he gets caught. Yeah. Later in life for introducing underage girl to his club. Yeah. When she's why was, he goes to jail for like I think two, three years. Yeah, that was, it was deeply that was, uncomfortable, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, I don't nah, like nah, this. I don't like this. I don't like yeah. this at
0: all. But that being said, like you have to watch films and even if the quote unquote hero is a bad person, they're not promoting bad things. Like yeah. do bad things. Um which is a very simple you way still of still follow
1: it. them on their journey. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think that's what I think audiences don't have now is that critical ability To look at something and go, hey, the morals in this film are bad, but that doesn't mean the filmmaker goes, go and do bad things. It's a look
1: at- You heard about the Taxi Driver whole scenario?
0: Which scenario?
1: Okay. So we'll go back to Taxi Driver. We'll jump back one step. Um, Taxi Driver obviously starred Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster had a stalker during, after the filming of Taxi Driver. She was getting constant calls and letters from this particular person who was just constantly following her around. Just like this man? Yeah, just a man, just a man. She was not really answering him, was being polite when needed to. He was getting fed up with not getting, like, seen by her or, like, you know. So what he did was he essentially organised the assassination of, I think, a president at the time, Reagan, Reagan, Um, So he could be noticed by Jodie Foster. Um, He did that. He shot Reagan. Reagan was fine. I think he just got shot in the arm. But two other people, I think one person died and one other person had was intensive care. And after that, he said during his interview, why did you do it? Why did you do it? It was like, oh, I was watching Taxi Driver and I wanted to impress Jodie Foster. So there's this That's whole right. I thing forget about this. where it's like, you know, like films influence real mm-hmm. life and Martin Scorsese was like, well, I'm not making these for the, that particular reason. I'm telling a story. Separate the two. So it's funny that you said that, but it's like, yeah, well the actual from Taxi Driver actually caused an issue from yeah. that situation. See, this stuff
0: happens and mm-hmm. it's it's really complicated because again in Taxi Driver, um, obviously Jodie Foster plays a young prostitute and she was about 14 yeah. and um, both De Niro and – Scorsese was super uncomfortable before they shot these scenes because they recognize she's a young girl and they don't want to make her uncomfortable by mm. asking her to do stuff that is inappropriate for a fourteen year old. It's not super full on. Let me get that. No, I've out seen there. the
1: film. It's f- yeah. it's
0: pretty tame, but yeah. still respectfully, you know.
1: No, I just want to make sure they she wanted was to make
0: okay. sure she was cool. Yeah, and she's like, yeah, come on, I've worked on a ton of stuff. Yeah. I'm I'm cool. Let's we're go. all like we're all adults now. Let's just do this scene. But you know, they were still trying to make sure that she yeah, was, she was which, you know, yeah. Like I think, good on them, but it does sort of speak to this idea of like, yeah, just because they're things that are in the film that are inappropriate yeah, doesn't, it doesn't mean that mean like, like it's,
1: yeah, it's
0: it was, cool, which audiences aren't always able to recognize.
1: Yeah, well, he was clearly a mentally unstable human being. Um, for st- like cl- he's stalking, obviously violence, so yeah, it didn't go well for him. Looked up, he is um no longer in jail, um, and now he does music covers on YouTube. So find out, look, look it up who, who the actual person was and he's got a whole thing out there. He's trying to make amends, I think.
0: I'm going to look it up. This it's is fascinating. A, it's a
1: lot of stuff out there based on that. Yeah, a taxi driver. So
0: this brings us to... We
1: leapfrog back. Yep. yep.
0: De Niro's failed King of Comedy from 1992 starring De Niro, Jenny Lewis... Um, Jerry. Sorry. Starring Robert De Niro, Jerry Lewis... Diane Abbott and Sandra Bernard, um, directed by Scorsese and written by Paul D. Zimmerman. Uh, this is about Rupert Popkin, a passionate yet unsuccessful comic who craves nothing more to, than to be in the spotlight. And to achieve this, he stalks and kidnaps his idol to take the spotlight for himself. I loved it. I love this one too.
1: This is probably one of my favorite Scorsese films. Yeah. It's this so good. It's a sleeper hit for me. This. I want to ask you a question first before we get into this film. Have you seen Joker? No. Okay. I'm sorry, everyone. It, it's okay because you've seen The King of Comedy. They're basically the same film. Yeah. So it, I'm looking at Shannon with like all. Uh, yeah. Okay. If you get time, watch Joker. I, I do want to. I just keep forgetting the about King it. King of Comedy. It is basically the same film. Wow. So. Rupert Pupkin is basically the Joker character that um yeah is played in that film yeah that uh Walking Phoenix or not yeah, is plays.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah
1: he, so the I think Todd Phillips wrote uh Joker and he said he's like I took a lot of influence out of the King of Comedy and Taxi Driver.
0: That's so interesting. Yeah. Todd Phillips has done some. he's really done cool, cool stuff.
1: Hangover stuff.
0: Yeah, but he's also done like some the other things, as other well. things like stuff with uh Kate Blanchett, I think.
1: I think so as well. Did yeah.
0: Carol? Someone did
1: I think he might have actually, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, getting back to the King Cody. so yeah, he Rupert Pumpkin, which I found phenomenal because the amount of people that like, got his actual name wrong in the film which <laughs> so was so phenomenal. Pumpkin, popkin. I know Pumpkin. I had to really
0: look at it when I was saying, like, reading. Yeah, this I to know because right.
1: yeah, and he's just he's the most oblivious character known to man. Um, Robert De Niro plays this ignorant, you know. Um, Wanna be comedian so well but he's like so advantageous at the same time but he's um blissfully unaware that he even dreams up these fantasy sequences where him and jerry lewis who jerry lewis plays basically the famous comedian yeah. of the movie and as they're like is it is if they're best friends they're just having you know coffee and jerry's coming to him for like bits and stuff it's all fantasy based and the fantasy based stuff kind of blows into what's real in the film as well And it's just so well done. I think this is such a good film. If you haven't seen it it before, yeah,
0: the stuff that where you said like it blends into the quote unquote reality. Yeah, I love that because sometimes I'm like, hang on, is this really happening? But I'm like, but this is from the perspective of Popkin. Exactly, this is his mentality. He doesn't, he can't differentiate it,
1: which is real and she's not. And I think
0: it's beautiful because there's there's times where you see him in his like room, which we think is a you assume is probably a basement, where he set up the stage. As if, exactly, as if exactly as if he's sitting it's,
1: like a yeah. like a talk show like,
0: yeah talk show he's yeah. a guest and then about halfway through the movie he gets like annoyed because he's trying to record because he records his own bits. yeah and his mum yells at him that was
1: phenomenal and you're
0: like oh i now what i assumed about this character i now know is to be true yeah is that he's sort of the i live with my mum in the basement i've I'd, got nothing, going, nothing on. going on um delusioned yeah guy yeah
1: the character who plays the other stalker, I think it's Sandra, Sandra Bernard. Bernard. Oh, so good. She plays it so well. She plays the more unhinged kind of mm-hmm. like stalker character because he's very advantageous. He's very still level-headed for like
0: mm-hmm.
1: a stalker. Like he still wants to get something out of it. He wants to
0: do it the right way, yeah, basically. Yeah, essentially.
1: She's crazy. She's like, hey, did you hand him the letter? You didn't hand him the letter. You just got kicked out of the office, didn't you? No, I didn't get kicked out. I just got, I just left, you know, and they're, they're very like...
0: It's th- funny because they're polar opposites. Like where yeah. he's unhinged she's completely hinged and then where he's hinged she's unhinged yeah but
1: they balance each other out and um, they're
0: like not really friends i think they're more like you know when two mega fans become friends yeah because they have a common interest it's that it's that yeah
1: uh that scene where jerry lewis is kind of tied up and she's having the dinner with Uh him and she plays chaotic and controlled at the same time so well I was just, I was captivated by that particular scene when she just throws the stuff across and then she's also like really calm at the same time.
0: I, this is a film where like I just saw it this week, but I need to go and re watch it, it to like
1: digest it, digest
0: it yet again, but not because it was too difficult, just because I don't think I paid the right amount of attention mm, to it that the it first time. To.
1: Yeah. But yeah, I strongly suggest if you've seen Joker. Watch this film, or vice versa. If you haven't, if you've seen King of Comedy, watch Joker, and you'll be like, "Oh my god!" The amount of the same movie is in this.
0: I want to know how many people have seen the Joker and then are coming to the King of Comedy, and how many people are as weird yeah. as I am and have seen the King, King of, of Comedy, Comedy and first and then, then the they're going go watch
1: the Joker. <laughs> You're like, what? The Joker? Oh, that little film they did. That, that DC. Film Oh yeah. Sorry, I've seen the King did. of Comedy. Yeah. <laughs> I've
0: become pretentious.
1: Which is really funny because even the cover. Is two playing cards, mm-hmm. and the king card is Jerry Lewis's little statue picture. The Joker card is a picture of Robert De Niro. I just thought that was a cool illusion because it's definitely a play okay, into the so Joker.
0: Do you know how many times people have been trying to tell me to watch the Joker, and I've yet to get to it? I know but you've <laughs> told me this. I'm such a nerd. <laughs> like I'm, I'm going to watching the Joker maybe tonight. Yeah,
1: please. After this other film, one, I, like, it's a definitely phenomenal definitely film watch, but regardless. But the fact of how much of this is in there. Yeah. And obviously um, Robert De Niro plays um what would be the Jerry Lewis character in Joker.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So we need to do a Halloween thing. And instead of being like the Joker, we need to be Pumpkin and Robert and, 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 and the yeah, Sentinel <laughs> Hearts. Yeah. Yeah, oh, my
1: God. That'd be fantastic. Because that outfit's great. He wears a lot of like red and like gray and uh-huh. stuff. Uh oh, it's easy to do. Again, okay, we're never going to do it. The little pencil but. line mustache as well that he has. Oh, phenomenal.
0: Tune in. I'll look at our costumes. <laughs> we <might laughs> do.
1: We've got a few costume ideas we're going to do. We've got a few things. We've got Juno. We've got Last of Us. We've got a few other things we're going to plan. We
0: need to stop just talking about it and actually do it.
1: Yeah, I know. We've got a break coming. It's going to be our foray into TikTok. Oh, my God, it so is. We're just going to dress up as things, then follow us. Fine, done. We're going to get an audience.
0: Do you know how expensive that's going to be?
1: Uh, we'll get people to make it for us. Anyone who likes to sew, please call in. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> All right, next movie. We didn't watch this one. No, we didn't. It's The Last Temptation of Christ, 1988. So this is the start of – he's basically done a trio of religious – based films or like the guilt of religion in film uh this is the first one we haven't seen it there's two others coming we've definitely watched at least one of them we'll get to that later so yeah this is the last temptation of christ 1988 uh we don't have much to say we haven't
0: seen it if you've seen it tell us why it's worth or not worth watching please We'll probably watch it anyway, but still, we going yeah, to we're gonna what get have to get
1: The ones we haven't seen, we're going to get to. We're going to get to.
0: And that brings us on to Goodfellas, 1990, starring Robert De Niro, Ray Liotta, Joe Pesci, Lorraine Bracco, and Paul Savino, directed by Scorsese, written by Nicholas Peleghi and Scorsese. And this is the story of Henry Hill and his life in the mafia, covering his relationship with his wife, Karen, and his mob partners, Jimmy Conway and Tommy DeVito. How good was this one? I loved it.
1: I thought it was so good. The balance between like the violence and like the, I would say like black humor, black comedy and chucked in there as well. So well done. Uh, Ray Liotta phenomenal. Obviously plays the, the stages of uh, Henry Hill's life really well. Uh, Particularly part towards the end when he's, you know, super coked out and he's paranoid and he doesn't really have any friends left. Like so well, he just looks super unhinged. But then like when you, First scene, he's like you know, fully suited, buttoned up. He's like the driver. He's like his hair coming back. It just plays so well, like the range across the timelines, so well. Yeah, great movie. I'm glad I got to watch that last night. Really good.
0: Now I might need you to take the helm a little bit because you've seen it very recently, and I've yeah. seen a lot of his films that are kind of blurred not, together. They're sort of They're all mobsters. Yes. Oh, well, not all, but you know, yeah. how good was Joe Pesci in that scene yeah. where he's in the bar and he's like starting to joke, but then yeah. he's not joking, but then but he, he is, is joking. actually
1: joking. Yeah. yeah. He's apparently this is all kind of ad libbed Mm -hmm. at the same time. Like so, Joe Pesci is telling a like a a, basically a joke, but it's not a joke. It's it's a joke, and everyone's laughing around him, laughing around him. Ray Liotta is sitting across from him and goes, "Oh, you're really funny." And then Joe Pesci like attaches to that line in particular and won't let it go. He's like, oh, you're a funny man, you know, what, what makes it so funny? And then Ray realises he's, like, not kidding anymore. He's, like, standing up to him. He's like, I, I don't know. Like, you know, I just – it was a really funny joke. He's like, do oh, I joke to you? Am I look like a clown? And he's, like, constantly swearing throughout this. I'm yeah. definitely filtering it. And what do you mean for that? Like, are you, and he's just like, are oh, you find me funny? You'll go step outside, you know. And Ray Liotta is, like, staring at him like, oh, my God, I've set this guy off. Uh-huh. And then Ray Liotta just goes, Ah, oh, you almost had me there. And then Joe Pesci just goes, Ah, oh, look at him, almost got him. And they just all start laughing again. This whole scene goes for like five minutes. It's, it's fantastic. It's so well done. The tension
0: that builds yeah, and then drops. And then just drops. Perfect.
1: So good. But he's Joe Pesci's character is completely psychotic. I oh, will say that. Absolutely besides unhinged. that scene, like I don't really know if you remember that scene where they're all playing cards. It's about two thirds of the way through the film. They're all playing cards and um this waiter mobster kid is bringing over a a drink for Henry Hill's character and then Joe Pesci's character Tommy DeVito is like where's my drink you know where's my 7 and 7 or whatever you take so long to get all the other drinks you basically you know doing all this and doing all that where's my drink you know you should dance for my drink dance kid and he's going about to go make the drink and he's like shoots the gun at the kid's foot to make him like dance but he accidentally shoots him in the toe and then everyone's like, whoa, Tommy, what are you doing? Like, that's crazy. The kid's just, you know, trying to make drinks. And he's like, whatever, like, just dismisses it completely. The next scene, like, two or three scenes later, like, it's it's a time period between. The kid's back, and he's got this, like, moon boot cast on his foot, and he's still making drinks for everyone. And then, like, uh, they're all like, oh, you know, like, everything's water under the bridge. And then, like, Joe Pesci's character is like, yeah, whatever. And it still ribbing at him. And then um, the, the kid's like oh, you know what, Tommy, go F yourself, basically. And everyone, all the other, the mobsters in the room are like, oh, like knowing it's like a joke, basically. Yeah. Like he's just essentially just standing up for himself finally because Joe Pesci is just giving it to him. And all the other cat, like even like Robert De Niro's character, like, oh, look at him, big man, like just joking around. And then like Joe Pesci just turns and goes, yeah, is this a big man? And just pulls out his gun and just shoots like three or four bullets into this kid. And then all the other muscles are like, "Whoa, Tommy! Like that's crazy. You're psychotic, crazy." Ray Dal- really like runs over to him and goes, "He's dead. Like you've killed him." He's like, "Yeah." And then Joe Pesci's like, oh, "I don't get you. You know, swearing his head off. He just like doesn't care." And then like Robert De Niro is like, "Oh, well, you're getting the shovel. I'm not. I'm not shoveling for you this time." And Joe Pesci's like, "Yeah, I'll. I'll dig the grave. I don't care. I've done it how many times before. I don't care. I'll dig the goddamn grave." It just shows how. Absolutely unhinged, he is of just killing this kid who's just a waiter in the in the in the whole mob, just for standing up for himself. Yeah. Basically, to him, he was so ego driven.
0: Plays those characters very well because he looks unassuming. He's exactly. very small. He's a small, small dude, man. And, and then all like he, they put him in all these roles where he yeah. usually is the more violent of the two. Yeah, exactly. Because he just once he snaps. Yeah, he like he's he plays the nicest guy the whole time, yeah, and, then, and then he snaps. Yeah, and it's like. Oh my God, we're about to get mm-hmm. absolutely it's
1: about about it. crazy. Up so in.
0: we should probably keep moving on because there's still quite a few. Yeah. Uh,
1: Cape Fear, Cape I have Fear. seen, but I was probably about 13. So I confidently can't really speak about it, besides the fact that Robert De Niro plays an absolutely chaotic character who's vengeful on the fact that this lawyer's family wrongfully got him put in jail, I think for longer than he used to or something else, or he didn't have enough evidence to get him off. Something like that. Anyway, he gets out of jail and he chases this family down, ends up on a boat. I know that much.
0: I really wanted to watch this one, uh, but there's weird technical difficulties with me and watching binge at the moment. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It won't load, so I can't get in, but didn't get to watch Cape Fear. Yeah.
1: Tell me me about the next one, Tish.
0: Yeah, so I watched The Age of Innocence from 1993 starring Daniel Day-Lewis, Michelle Pfeiffer, Winona Ryder, and Miriam Margoyles. It's directed by Scorsese. It's written by Edith Wharton, Jay Cox, and Martin Scorsese. Um, And it's a tale of a 19th century New York high society in which a young lawyer falls in love with a woman separated from her husband while he's engaged to the woman's younger cousin. So basically, Daniel Day-Lewis is courting Winona Ryder to get married. Uh, she's super young in this. She's like early 20s, but you know it's young in in that society kind of yeah. thing. Um, meanwhile, Michelle Pfeiffer has separated from her husband, uh, not officially, but she is kind of living in America rather than back in England.
1: Yeah.
0: um and they have this, will, they won't they romance that um there's like because it's written at this time, you assume that they're having sex and stuff, but you don't see it. Yeah. so it is that kind of like what exactly happens is left up to your imagination more. Uh, I like this one. Again, not my favourite because these aren't necessarily films that are going to become my favourite films. Yeah, no. Uh, It's beautifully put together and it is interesting after watching so many mob-type movies to then watch this. this. But there's also something very similar between the two in just that these societies that they're living in have such strong codes and rules and that kind of thing. And you can, weirdly enough, go from a mob film to this gorgeous – 19th century high society film and it's still Feels you're like this is a scorsese film, film. yeah, you're like, hey,
1: there it is in I mean,
0: a really weird way, way. <laughs> um yeah i think this is fantastic um if you're into these films like sort of high society pride and prejudice type like that kind it's of very vibe
1: that type of vibe
0: you'll love this film like it is done beautifully i think it is interesting if spoilers so if you do want to watch it just jump ahead slightly the way they tell this sort of story because it seems like Winona Ryder's character is just young and silly and doesn't understand mm-hmm. the whole time. It's like she hasn't quite clued in the fact that he's always seeing the, the, the cousin you know, the one, and just yep. always manages to be. And I think everyone, it's high society, someone talks about it, but everyone kind of knows that he's also with the cousin because they're like, oh, she'd love to see you. Maybe go see her, catch up with her while she's in town at the house, mm-hmm. rah, rah, that kind of thing. And sort of at the very end, years later, when he's quite old, they've got a kid now because um, Winona Ryder's character died at, at some point in the childbirth or whatever. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah, he sort of gets invited back to this high society and he sort of reads this letter or something. There's yeah. a letter that might have been left or she – whatever, but basically it kind of lets on that, like, she kind of knew the whole time. Right, okay. Um, yeah. And he made a choice, basically – Because she let him go, essentially. She said, do you want to, like, go off? You could go off if you want, kind of thing. Um, But I think he knew, ultimately, like, oh, this is I have to. But, yeah, I thought it was well done. Um, Different route for Scorsese, of course. Very much so. But kind of weirdly makes sense.
1: And that brings us to, back into the mob scene after that, Casino of 1995, which you ended up watching this week. Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah this okay.
0: one might be one of my favorite Scorsese films that I've watched recently.
1: I look, I had seen it. Same thing. I think I was about ten.
0: 10 uh, go watch it now, you're an adult. Sharon Stone.
1: Yes. No, it's like holy a, oh, She's great in this. She James, James Woods as well. I Don Rickles. Yeah.
0: Love this cast. It's got. It's 1995. It's got De Niro, Sharon Stone, Joe Pesci, James Woods, Don Rickles, uh, which is interesting because they're sort of Rickles mm. is a comedian, but yeah, plays yeah. mobster fantastically. Uh, directed by Scorsese. Written, written by Nicholas Pellegrino and Scorsese. So in Las Vegas, two best friends, a casino executive De Niro and a mafia enforcer Pesci, compete. A,
1: compete They for compete
0: for a gambling empire and a fast, fast living, love loving socialite, which is Sharon Stone. So basically, De Niro wants to build an empire mm-hmm. in his like casino. Uh, Joe Pesci is a mafia enforcer who plays a role in it because this is back before the like. Vegas was bought out by sort of commercial stuff that was very yeah, much was run very
1: mobster. by the mob. Yeah.
0: And that there's a whole through line of, you know, the mob happenings and yeah. stealing money, you know, all that kind of. Yeah, it's very, kind of Vegas. was
1: very Vegas. Yeah.
0: So there's all that underneath it. And then basically Sharon Stone is stealing money from the casino and stealing money off the men that she flirts with at the casino. And De Niro sort of. Ca- she catches his eye and he's like, I want you to be my wife. And she's like, I'm not really the wife type. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's been seeing this this other guy on and off for years, basically since she was a teenager. It's just one of those like unhealthy relationships where he needs her to get money, they're also having sex like it's the whole it's yeah, that it's whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but she's like, I'm not really the wife type and he goes, I'll set you up, I'll give you all these jewels and and this gold and jewelry. This can be like your your safety net also Um, I'm going to give you a key. There's like a ton of money in a safety deposit box that only you have access to. This is basically my lifeline and this is – I'm giving it to you as a promise, like you mean a lot to me, that kind of thing. I trust you. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it it goes on throughout the thing but before he marries her, he gets her pregnant Mm -hmm. which is a good way to keep a woman in line. It's having a kid to him. Uh, And then sort of as it goes on, he's pretty abusive. Surprise, surprise she finds a lot of, like, friendship in Joe Pesci's character. They have this fantastic dynamic where sort of Joe Pesci knows that De Niro's kind of a bit of a bastard to her and he sort of protects her in a way of, like, it's fine. Don't worry about him. I'll sort this out. I'll sort that out. It's going to – but, you know, that's always messy in itself. Yeah. Because it's, like, basically De Niro and Pesci are basically brothers, essentially. They're not, but it's that idea of, like, oh, now you're hanging out with my brother, not me. Yeah what's happening um, and at one point she sort of leaves him, takes the kid who's now like 9, 10 yep. um, and goes to hang out with the ex but also she was never going to be someone that's straight down the line. You put all this money into it so she's coked up, she's drinking a lot. Yep. He wants his kid back, sends people to basically kill him because she kidnaps the kid. To It's it's very messy. It's,
1: yeah, it's a, that's what I remember and,
0: too. Um, yeah, but there's a scene in a phone booth where – She's on the phone to him pleading, like, pleading for her life, basically. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to take her, blah, blah, blah. Um, And the performance is, like, Stand out. just stellar. And apparently, because I was looking into it, Sharon Stone so was so anxious because she'd worked herself up for the scene mm-hmm. that um, Scorsese's underneath, like, the where the camera, the frame, and he's holding her hand while she's performing the scene because she was that worked up. Really? That he basically comforted her through the scene oh my god! so she could perform yeah, because yeah. she'd got herself that, that worked up that worked up oh
1: my god go okay. and
0: look up that scene will, if you don't watch well that movie. i'll watch
1: it i'll watch it again uh, but
0: i like it's a lot There's oh it's a lot it's in a lot, this film yeah. but the performances are stand out i think joe pesci sharon stone in this one stand out more than de niro like yeah. de niro is great well i felt but the same with
1: goodfellas uh-huh. i think de niro was a good presence but He's not a bigger, great not
0: leading man yeah but when he's not he's, centre of stage. Yeah, yeah, the other people are sort of Out, more... Outshine him. Outshine him. But yeah. I think they need him to be grounded for the film to make yeah. sense, I think.
1: Um, we got two other films kind of we haven't watched back to back. So it's called uh, Kundun, which is one of the second lot of the trilogy of religious films that he's done there. We oh, I
0: see.
1: Haven't really watched that. So I'll bounce back on that one when I get to that one. And then Bringing Out the Dead, which is from 1999 and is starring Nicolas Cage. But I don't know too much more about this because we, yet again, didn't get to that one. But the next one, a big one that I remember watching when I was uh, about 13 as well. So I watched a lot of Martin Scorsese at 13. Yeah, apparently. what were your
0: parents doing?
1: I went to the cinemas to see this with Dad. I was 12. I don't know if you've seen this film. No, I haven't. <laughs> it's very violent. I have seen this, though.
0: Sharon's a very... Shannon's a very passive man for someone who's watched a lot of these, might I add.
1: So Gangs of New York, 2002, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Daniel Day-Lewis, Cameron Diaz, Jim Broadbent, John C. Riley, Henry Thomas, Liam Neeson, Brandon Gleason. Huge cast. I see this all
0: the time and I keep going, I should watch this one day. It's
1: really good. I, yet again, I haven't, I think I've seen half of it since I saw it that initial time, but I do remember it. It's 1863. America was born in the streets. Amsterdam Vallon returned to the Five Points of America to seek vengeance against the psychotic gangland kingpin Bill the Butcher, who murdered his father years earlier. With an eager pickpocket by his side and a whole new army, Vallon fights his way to seek vengeance on the Butcher and restore peace to the area. So it's a very much a, yeah, it's a revenge story. I remember there's a particular scene when, so Amsterdam's played by, obviously, Leonardo DiCaprio. DiCaprio's like, young it's someone else playing him so he's like a 10 year old and his dad and they're going out and there's this army versus other army kind of situation but bill the butcher kind of double crosses them so he does end up killing his father and that's how bill the butcher basically has power over the basically all the gangs of new york because it's like very gang territory Mm back 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 then and it kind of does a time skip and Leonardo DiCaprio comes back to town. Bill the Butcher doesn't recognize him at all. So it's kind of like one of those I infiltrate into the kind of the army just to get close to, to the bad guy kind of situation. He meets Karen Diaz, who is the pitpocketer, obviously. He utilizes their skills to kind of find out more information, kind of sets up this thing and it kind of culminates all together in this massive kind of all-out war towards the end. Obviously Bill the Butcher finds out about him beforehand, still... It's a massive fight towards the end and yeah, it's it's a good film. It's a lot of fighting though. It's a lot of fighting set in that kind of eighteen hundreds kind of era. So yeah. Worth checking out.
0: I will add this to my list, um at some point. No, I do like watching Scorsese films, but yeah. I've been yet again, well, maybe not like said, all in a week.
1: Not all in one week. That's the issue we had this week was watching like five or six Scorsese films each. I was each. like, oh
0: my God, there's another slog. Here we go. Like, oh, it's Three good. hours. Let's God go. God
1: damn, it's good. But it's a, it's a big, long film. <laughs> next one.
0: That brings us to The Aviator in 2004, which I think neither of us have seen. No, so it, let's seen just gloss over it, move on. Uh, we will come back to it at some point when we've seen it. Yeah. If you've seen it, let us know what you think.
1: Yeah. Now, the next one uh, is The Departed. It's The Departed from ni- uh, 2006.
0: Do they say it like that? Is that why <laughs> It's you- Boston. I see.
1: It's Departed. Uh, starring Jack Nicholson, <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, Mark Wahlberg, Vera Farmiga, Martin Sheen, Alec Baldwin. It's written by William Monaghan, Alan Mack, Felix Chong-Man-Kuhn, directed by Martin Scorsese. Huge film. I This was monstrous around 2006. It's basically about- like two cops, and they, the cops are essentially versing the mob, right? And they've got two cops, they're, they're Matt Damon and Leonardo DiCaprio, and they go through the training, the academy, and one of them's like an ex con, like ex ex criminal when he was of a kid, course. and Matt Damon's character was like the rich kid who was friends with the mob, but they both go through the police academy, and. They send in Leonardo DiCaprio as an undercover agent into the mob and Matt Damon's character is basically goes into the detective agency. So, but they're so they're both essentially moles for each team. So like obviously DiCaprio is the mole for the detectives because he's really good at being an ex-criminal and then Matt Damon's character is obviously really close to the mob because he has been his whole life before he went to the police is like the mole for the the mob, and it's this like cat and mouse game about who's got more information at the right time because of who's going to get arrested and what's going on and stuff. And Jack Nicholson plays like the mob boss, and he plays it really, really well. And without getting too far into the into the story a bit further down because you haven't seen it, it's um it plays out very, very violently. Uh, as you would expect with, um, you know, these moles in both sides of the story.
0: I really want to watch this now. Like, I'd obviously heard of The Departed. Yeah. It was huge, but I was yeah. in primary school. Yeah, exactly. So I didn't tune into this one. Haven't really just – didn't know what it was about. I so yeah. just kind of didn't watch it.
1: Knowing it's a Scorsese. But now
0: I know it's Scorsese. Well, I mean, I kind of knew that. But now I know who's in it, the whole thing.
1: It's uh, I'm It's subverts curious. expectations at times too. You uh, think it's going to go one way and it just kind of – just turns on its head, and you're like, "Wow, it's it's deep, it's confronting, and it's yeah, it's a very good film." In Boston, so it's departed. I see. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's they got that accent the whole way through it. So
0: I would hope so. <laughs> yeah, Imagine they no, just they just swap uh, it's a
1: Aussie accent halfway through. Oh uh, God. Yeah.
0: So the next one is Shutter Island, 2010. So we did a we did a deep dive deep dive, on this, but episode so we three. won't get into it too much. But I do think it's interesting now having seen.
1: Everything typical else. typical films. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. like,
0: it's not quite a, a din- uh, not a dinner, uh, sorry, a Scorsese film, except that it is a, a Scorsese yeah, film. Yeah, the, the techniques are very-
1: Slow motion, mm-hmm. um, tracking shots. He loves those in all these other films. Zoom in dolly shots.
0: It's almost like now that I know the stuff that he's made, it makes sense that he was the guy that did this film because it's so, like- Perfectly crafted and so intentional. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, it makes sense meticulous, that someone that's yeah. this meticulous could make a film like this. Yeah, but Still it is different, different Island, from his normal oh, stuff. Yeah. Um, but worth worth watching. And if you do want to hear a bunch about it, go listen to our episode. It was like episode episode three. three. I think because
1: episode three was our deep dive into Shadow Island. So you'll get a lot more out of that if you go back to the third episode.
0: Hopefully, it's just as polished as we are now. But uh, there's no intro. Well,
1: that's episode six. You can imagine an intro. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, that brings us into his next big film, which was Hugo in 2011, starring Asa Butterfield, Chloe Grace Moretz, Christopher oh. Lee, Ben Kingsley, Sasha Baron Cohen, Emily Mortimer, and Helen McCroy. Uh directed by Scorsese, uh, written by John Logan and Brian Selznick, who's the guy that did the book. Oh, okay. Now, I yep. watched this when it came out. Um, my sister had read... The book, so th- the story is in 1931 Paris, an orphan living in the walls of a train station gets wrapped up in a mystery involving his late father and an automaton. So, the book was an interesting book because it was one that was purely pictures, mm-hmm. so it's one of those like, and mm-hmm. it's all charcoal drawing, it's gorgeous. Um, and then this film came out, so my sister was big in it. I maybe read the book because the movie was coming out or because she said it was good, I can't remember which way wow, around, the, yeah. Um, and I thought this was pretty good i haven't seen it since i was a kid i do think now it's interesting that it's like one scorsese two was obviously written in the book but they they go to a cinema and they watch the film and i can't remember the title of it which is gonna bug me the whole time your brain but you know the very very early silent film and it's the moon and then the pencil goes into the eye of the moon have you ever seen that yeah vaguely yeah Yeah. they have like a reference to that and i love this and then i didn't want this is me being real picky. I didn't watch this movie since cuz I had a bone to pick with it. Oh, what is it? Um basically, I found out and I was like I was like 11, 12. <laughs> um, my great uncle who did the special effects for Harry Potter was up mm. for a BAFTA against Hugo and Hugo won for special You're effects like, and I was like no. but this was this was visual effects and not special of, and i was such a little pretentious kid like and i it. was like <laughs> i'm mad i'm not I gonna know watch ever about, again. So, yeah literally and i don't think i have so i do really <laughs> want to watch it now that i'm
1: well i haven't seen it so i'll definitely watch it more again. pretentious but less That's pretentious fantastic yeah. that you did that
0: and then uh, the next one, you can intro us into this one if you like.
1: Yeah, so it's The Wolf of Wall Street from 2013. This was massive the year it came out. I remember it was actually everywhere. Uh, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Jonah Hill, Margot Robbie, Matthew McConaughey, and John Favreau. Directed by Martin Scorsese and written by Terence Winter and Jordan Belford because Jordan Belford is the character that it is based on. This was this is Martin Scorsese at his full. He's using all his... Techniques that he uses that he's known for throughout all the other kind of movies, uh, all at once, all in one shot. You got your vibe of the mobsters, you've got the character talking to the screen, like narrating at the screen, like breaking the fourth wall, breaking the fourth wall, um, cocaine everywhere, <laughs> just everywhere. There's a lot of cocaine. Um, yeah, it's just like that dark also kind of Also, Boston, humor. No, Boston, the Boston. Yeah, it's like that dark humor meets, like, violence. It's, it's what he's known for, but it was like, yeah, it's essentially the story of, you know, John Belford uh, from his rise to a wealthy stockbroker living the high life to his fall involving crime, corruption, and the federal government.
0: Now, I'm disappointed in myself for this one. Mm-hmm. I started watching this earlier, maybe this year, but... Mm-hmm. Um, just fell off because it just wasn't my vibe at the time. Yeah. And then tried to rewatch it again this week. Got like same thing. 15, 20 minutes in. I didn't start it from the beginning. I just was like, oh, I'll just pick up where I left off. Uh, no. Which was a mistake. <laughs> yeah. um, What's going on And here? then I was like, you know what? Uh, this start is not for me start. right now. I will forget this one. Come back to it at a time when I'm not watching it for a podcast. Um, yeah. And really enjoy it. Um, this was one that got Margot Robbie big. I was, to I was say, still Margot in school, Robbie so I didn't see it at the time.
1: huge was a huge standout in this. Her portrayal was, yeah, massive. Yeah. Like, like
0: it's crazy for, to be basically out of neighbors and then and then into this. Into this, yeah, yeah. Just she nuts. she stand
1: out. She she goes toe to toe with Leonardo in this film. Easy. If anything, she outshines him. I think so. Yeah, yeah she outshines him in the scenes that they're both in. Um, but it's just a wild film. It's just an absolute wild film. Jonah Hill was really good in this as well. Like he plays not down like you know, straight down the narrow comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, he. Because he was doing a lot of movies around that time that were he was trying to break the mould. He was doing this. He did Moneyball as well. He was just trying to just pr- kind of break himself out of that like oh super bad style character that he was typecast for. So I'm pretty sure, don't hold me to this, he won an Oscar for that role, supporting role. I will look that up afterwards. I'm fairly certain that, um yeah, Jonah Hill, Oscar winner for Wolf of Wall Street. Don't hold me to it though. But, yeah, um, it's it's just like this massive... This movie's like a massive parade of wealth and what is potentially could be... You could get if you, you know, play your cards right. And then, obviously, it does, the, you know, your usual Scorsese thing. It shows the fall. Shows what, what happens when you push that element too far. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I thought it was a really good film. It is, yet again, one of his other three-hour films. So, a lot of his later films do suffer from being I'm not saying they're bad films. I think they're all phenomenal films, especially some of these later ones, but they they are long in the tooth.
0: I think they ask a can, lot of the audience.
1: Yeah. yeah. If you can handle like your three, three and a half hour films and that is not affect like that doesn't affect you at all, you'll get such a good time out of these films. But yeah, it's a it's a lot. It's a lot. The next one is I think you've seen this. I've seen this vinyl. one. Final, yeah, yeah the pilot vinyl ab.
0: 2016, it was um, created by Scorsese along with Mick Jagger and Rich Cohen, um, and then Scorsese did the pilot. Uh, I watched this originally back in uni when I was doing screenwriting, and we watched stuff that was based on music and like how music can influence mm-hmm. your screenwriting and all that kind of stuff. Um, absolutely fantastic. I then meant to finish watching this. Like I've I've got it on DVD because I, it was when HBO was like yeah. barely a thing over here. Um and I've never quite finished it and I kind of want to get back into it. It's basically about a, a record exec and he's trying to promote his American Century label during the changing scene of music in the the 70s. So you've got like the birth of like rock mm. of disco, like that Different whole genre is
1: coming out of thing. nowhere.
0: And yeah. it is it is like gorgeous mm. the way that this shows done the music's fantastic the acting's incredible it's again the pilot's got that very like oh this is like a coke heavy scorsese thing
1: scorsese loves his coke yeah
0: <laughs> um but yeah it's it's good if you've curious about it yeah. it's worth the watch especially if you're a big music fan um it's definitely for you but i will maybe come back to, i don't know it's i keep meaning binge. to watch
1: it i know it's on binge because it is a hbo special so i i've been wanting to watch it For a while, because I remember it coming out on physical media and I was like, oh, vinyls, I buy vinyls. You know, it's HBO. It's going to have quality to it as well. It's
0: got um, Bobby Cannavale, Paul Ben-Victor, James Jagger, Jack Quaid, Juno Temple, and Olivia Wilde. Yeah, it's a strong cast,
1: very strong cast, so worth checking out. Next one, Silence, 2016. We're not just telling people to be silent. It is the movie Silence, starring Andrew Garfield, Adam Driver, Liam Neeson, Tadanobu Nobu Asano and Kieran Hines. This is uh, this was full on.
0: We watched this one yesterday separately, but yes,
1: we did. We both watched it separately. This was Martin Scorsese's pet project for twenty-five years. He's been wanting to make All this right. film. It's based on a book, um, I'm pretty sure of the same name. Obviously, to do with the um, two Jesuit priests travel to seventeenth century Japan, which has under the Tokugawa Shogunate Ban-Catholicism? I can't believe I got that word Catholicism, wrong. Catholicism, yeah. <laughs> And almost all foreign contact. So, yeah, it's a pretty brutal film. Uh, it's not a fun film in terms of, like, lighthearted feelings. Not even anything. once. Not even once, but he's, God, is it well acted.
0: Yeah, I was very yeah. impressed. Yeah. I was very distracted last night, which was... Fidgety. I was not happy about but <laughs> fidgety drinking uh, it's like a three hour film yeah. um and my brain was like not tonight and I was like we have to watch this tonight yeah. um but I as much as I was very distracted it's very good very much enjoyed this film yeah. it's, um,
1: um, it's just that whole like yeah. trying to introduce you know a foreign concept into a culture without taking into the you know the 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 fact that they're this culture might not be necessarily ready for it.
0: Yeah, it's it's yeah. very much a you know missionary type film yeah, yeah. where they they go to bring Catholicism to Japan, which is using a lot of Buddhism at the time, yeah. like in terms of their main religion. Yeah, uh, and it's sort of some people are wanting to follow these priests yep. in secret, mind you. Yeah, um, and then some people are like, take your religion. Back where you came from, and I, go there, please. Yeah, we're happy as we are. Yeah. We're running this place the way we're running it. Yep. And anyone who wants to be Catholic, you're going to be tortured basically because punished.
1: yeah,
0: we're not we're not having it. Which yeah. it's an interesting one to watch because you see in this film very clearly depicted all sides of this. Yes. Yeah. Like more than just both sides, like all sides mm. of this, from you know. Andrew Garfield's perspective where he is obviously trying to bring Catholicism yeah, to,
1: but even then he takes it in my opinion, my understanding was he takes it too far because yeah. of his pride. It's like, what is it actually costing for mm-hmm. the people around him from like, you know, not apostatizing yep. you know, that. So you've that. got
0: Liam Neeson who yep. sort of was once the, I can't think what the word is, but basically he was above the father, the father He's to the father friar. Yeah. Um, you know Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver's characters, mm. but then he he gives it up. He, he renounces, bosses, yeah, yeah, his faith because he realizes that it's causing More a damage. lot of people to yeah. be killed in his name, not in God's name necessarily. Exactly. So he does that. You've got uh this guy. I can't remember his character's name, but basically he's in it from the beginning. He's a Japanese guy uh, who
1: Kirijiko, mm-hmm, I, I think
0: so. Yeah, I, he uh, sort of is in. He's one foot in, one foot out in that he, he is
1: he's a weak-minded character yeah. so he obviously wants to believe in the you know the christianity and that but because he's such a weak-minded character he's there for his own survival yeah so he can see when there's a way out for him to survive so he'll renounce his faith like instantly yeah and he'll put other people in the shit and for then he's it.
0: back being yeah. like you know
1: oh i want to um confess it's that it's, it's that yeah. idea
0: of like you know Jesus died for all of our sins, so we can to do all wrong, all the sins, and, to and say, I am sorry. Confess. yeah, and then all you know, which is a a complicated way of looking at faith, yeah, and then yeah, you've got the perspective of these very heavy, um, like Buddhist characters that are like, no, do not wreck mm. what we have, yeah. um politically, so they're you know able to go so far into torturing their yeah. own people yep. because of their beliefs. And you, you see that perspective and you go, well, that's not good. But at the same time, you're like, yeah, but should, you know, they be trying to bring a different religion into yeah, these exactly. people because it's be like, doing
1: it? yeah.
0: who's to say? And it doesn't it doesn't point fingers in this film. There's no, this is the right way to look at this. Nah. This is the wrong way to look at it. It's just like, this is an, a topic and an issue that's complicated depending on where you stand. Mm-hmm. And it sort of gives you every perspective, which I really appreciate just it in very, a film. Very,
1: very well done. Yeah, and then you can see why it's Martin Scorsese's Pet Project as well. Yeah. Because, yeah, the, the art, f- like the art and craft in this film as well. It's phenomenal. Stunning film to look at. Acting's just top-notch from everyone, honestly, even like the extras. Mm-hmm. Honestly, fantastic. Um, yeah, if if you've got time to check this out, it's um, it's on Stan, I think, from the top of my head. Yeah, I watched it on Stan. And, but you've got to be ready for it. It's not an easy film to follow um, you gotta have two and a half hours spare, and but if you do have that and you've got the time, you'll get uh, something out of it from watching this. Film. I
0: think this was a heavily respectful yes. look on religion, religion, actually. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um,
0: very worth watching, yep. and yeah, it's very well done.
1: And that kind of wrap. Um, at the moment that finalizes the trio of religious films he's yep. done. Um, The next one, we're going to get into our last film that we're going to cover because we haven't seen Killers of the Flower Moon. No,
0: not yet. We'll get there. We'll get there. We're going to see it soon. Get there, Marty, I promise. (laughs) I swear. Uh,
1: The Irishman from 2019. So I watched this one this week starring Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci, uh, Stephen Graham, Ray Romano and Harvey Cattell, Bobby Cannavale and Anna Paquin as well. It is written by Stephen Zillian and is originally written by Charles Brandt because it was a retelling of the character to someone and he wrote it into a book, like oh, a cool. memoir. Yeah, and obviously directed by Mark Scorsese. So the crux of this movie is it's Pennsylvania, 1956. Frank Sheernan, a war veteran of Irish origin who works as a truck driver, accidentally meets mobster Russell Buffalino. Once Frank becomes his trusted man, Buffalino sends him to Chicago with the task of helping Jimmy Hoffa, a powerful union leader related to organised crime, with whom Frank will maintain a close friendship for nearly 20 years.
0: Correct me if I'm wrong. Is this the one where they sort of use de-aging tech?
1: Yes. yes. Did that take you out of it at no. all? Okay, because that no. was
0: my worry with this one.
1: No, there is, yeah, there's, there's de-aging with Frank, um, Frank. Robert. Frank Sheeran's character of... You know, played by Robert De Niro. Um, and also Joe Pesci, because he obviously plays him from when he meets him to yeah. old age as well. Um, phenomenal film. Holy Christ. But it it is a long one. It's I think it's his second longest film. It's three hours, 26. But I, I did split it up. I had a few breaks every hour and, like, have, you know, come back 20 minutes later and sit down and watch it again. How
0: dare you? I know.
1: Disgusting. But it was really good. Really well done. It showcases... For me, it showcases the fact that, you know, most of the other films that he does in his mobster thing, it kind of, from these people doing these kind of, like, questionable crimes and, like, organised crime and that, they kind of get the riches and the glamour as well that comes along with it. With Frank Sheenan's character, it's just a way of life for him. Like, he doesn't get the grits and the glamour. He's, like, close but not super associated because he's an Irishman. He's not fully in the Italian mob, mm-hmm. but he's one of he's one of them, but not quite. Um, so he doesn't live the the riches and the glamour. He just gets enough to get by. Like he supports his family. Um, he does meet Jimmy Hoffa, who's played by Al Pacino, who's phenomenal in this as well, as Al Pacino always generally is. He plays um, a union leader, like the Teamsters Union. And yeah, he is connected to a lot of uh, crime bosses as well. The first thing that uh, Jimmy Hoffa says to Frank Sheeran is, like, because they have a phone call between each other. And he's like, oh, I heard you paint houses. And that's mob code for uh, you're a hitman because you kill someone, you, you know, blood splatters paint the the wall, you paint the walls. So I heard you paint houses. That's the first thing he said to us. And that's the actual alternative title to this movie is I've heard you paint houses because that's what pops up on the first couple of screens as the movie starts. I kind
0: of like that more.
1: I like it more it's as well. Bit,
0: it's a bit wordy, but I like it's it more. It's a bit more. wordy,
1: but it makes sense because I'm pretty sure that's what the book's called. I heard you paint it houses. Makes sense as a
0: book title, not a film title. Exactly
1: um and it goes along the story of because it plays out obviously 20 years he's friends with this jimmy hoffman for 20 years and it's kind of like the ups and downs throughout their friendship and yeah uh it i don't want to get into spoilers because you know probably a lot of people haven't seen it it's a three-hour film i kind of want you to watch it at some point in your life i, Not I do want to watch it actually all i'll say is that, yeah like scorsese has been doing this thing throughout uh, a lot of these films he he showcases what comes after like you know when, like, a mob boss particularly, like, it's the end of the mob era of his life, most films kind of, like, just finish up, oh, they were in jail, the end. Yeah, they put, like, a little title credit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh,
0: and then he, 26 years, he got out, and then he, you know, whatever. He did this.
1: Scorsese loves to actually show that part of it as well. Like, it's not all glitz and glamour. It's, like, this this is what happens towards the end of their life. This film does probably the most phenomenal thing of, like, right at the end of the film, it really sits... It's the reason why it is as long as it is because it shows the later years of his life and, like, really, like, what did this all cost?
0: I think what he does well is he takes someone who is, like, a mob boss, a, a massive figurehead, yeah. an idle d- dude, mm. and then goes, what happens when he's just a man now at the end?
1: Exactly. And that's what this film does phenomenally. That's why I will recommend this film to anyone who hasn't seen it, The Irishman. It was up for the Best Academy Award for Best Picture, I think, of the year of 2019. don't think it won, but it was definitely up for it. So it is it is quality and, yeah, worth checking out. And that's the end of our films, I guess. I think
0: so. We kind of got through a lot of them.
1: We we did a, such a good week this week. I'm so proud of ourselves <laughs> for watching nearly all I hope you are at home, Martin Scorsese too. films.
0: No, I think what's interesting, like having watched all these films, and I'll keep this brief, but it's he gets a lot of flack for his perspective on films and his comments about, like you know, you know, Marvel films, yeah, cinemas dying. Yeah. But when you see these films, and this guy has made incredible films, you I understand think it. it's he, been
1: five decades. He
0: makes films for the joy of making the art that is cinema, yeah. um, and he gets that. And these new films, they're just not doing that. And I don't mean to say that they're bad; they're not. There's a no, place for them as well, yeah. but they're different. And I think it's sad that sort of the people that were making all these films are dying out and there isn't a love for them or respect the, the, for the, them. The I guess craft the, of cinema. the yeah. love is still there from, from people like us that are watching them, but from the heads of studios, the love of the craft is gone. Yeah. It's all about money, duh. Um, and <laughs> it's it's sad. And I think that's yeah. what he wants to talk about is that yeah. he's like, I love this stuff. He's still making TikToks with his bloody daughter yeah but he's like only if they're good now and <laughs> they're um, good now and she's been tricking him into something and it's f- hilarious good to watch yeah. but he isn't this like pretentious guy he's just a dude that's made some insane films and, loves, and it. Yeah, loves it he loves it and doesn't so, want to yeah. see it die out yeah that's my take on Scorsese anyway <laughs> <laughs>
1: if anyone else has got a different one please let us know tune
0: in next week tune in in next week
1: it's a lot lighter a lot lighter <laughs> it's a lot lighter
0: Alrighty, so as always, thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, please give it a follow. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and threads at binge Lists, or email us at BingeList and BoxOfficeHits at gmail.com. And we hope that we've influenced you to watch at least one at least Scorsese one. film.
1: That would be phenomenal if we could get at least one person to check out one of these films. That would be
0: King great. of Comedy, King yeah. of Comedy. That or Casino, they're, they're my top picks. Yeah.
1: Both on Stan, I think. Well, the King of Comedy is on Stan. It just got added, which is why we watched it. All right,
0: that should wrap it up. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, guys.